2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters is part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Do check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Tonight, we're going to be doing Lord of the Rings as episode 48 of the show. You find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 48. We do have a special treat. It is the uh, almost the Christmas season, so we're going to warm our cockles by the fires of Mount Doom with Melanie, the Anarchist Mom, as our guest. She is going to be launching a podcast in the coming weeks at anarchistmom.com. Dot com. But before we introduce her, let's talk to Robert for a moment before we get into that Google description and uh, the rest of the show. Well, hey ho, everybody. I'm excited to Hello. do this one. It's been a while since um, Daniel's teased me with uh, this guest tonight. And we've known this lady for a long time online. But this is the first time really talking um, internet face to internet face. And it uh, should be a good one. I agree. I agree. And Melanie, uh, you are going to be launching a show very soon. Uh, anarchistmom.com and I think on the pre-show content that we have available for our listeners at lastnighters.com slash Patreon, you were telling us that it's going to be sort of a uh, potpourri of statism and calling out just terrible crap arguments that get made on your Facebook page. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. And it's going to be fun. So much fun. Well, speaking of fun, uh, we have been looking forward to doing the show with you for quite a while. Now, what was it that made you want to do the Lord of the Rings with us? Uh, and then we'll get in that Google description and and uh, get into the nitty gritty. Well, like I said, like um, during the pre-show content yesterday, um, it just like when I first saw the movie, it like totally changed my life because it was like I felt like someone understood like the ring in the movie represented the burden that I felt having all this knowledge about the state and everything. And like Frodo had to carry this around and every, it just got heavier and heavier. And it just like, it just struck a chord with me. And it's just like, never, it never went away. It was just like my favorite movie of all time. Right. And I've never actually thought about it that way until you mentioned that the other day. And Robert and I felt similar burdens and, and especially Robert, when I was learning about this stuff and then having conversations with him, he was like, man, you've ruined like my life because now I can't enjoy things I used to enjoy, movies, television shows, comic books, conversations with normal people anymore. <laughs> because now that yeah. you've kind of taken the red pill, it's, it's like, it seems so pointless to have a lot of those conversations and and to see the seeping statism in a lot of con content uh it's just so glaring you know and it's well, one of the things like, that's good for us because there's so much content to talk about in everything that's why we do the movie thing right and then like do you remember when they're um they're going um i can't remember the city but they're in the dwarven city and like frodo's talking to um why can't I think of names? Gandalf. And he's like, I wish the ring had never come to me. I mean, it's like when I heard him say that, it's just like, I just, it was so relevant because it's just like, I wish I didn't know this. I wish I could just forget about all of this and just be like a regular person and just go about my life and be happy and just, you know, pay my bills and not worry about anything, you know, just kind of be ignorant to everything. But once you, like you said, take in the pill, it's like you can't and you can't go back and it sucks sometimes, but it's nice now that there's the internet that you can connect with other people that have the same feelings and believe the same things as you. But I mean, when that movie came out, you know, the internet was just starting and um, I was just like, oh my God, someone understands, you know, Tolkien understands me. <laughs> so this That's is it. interesting though, that you saw it as a metaphor for your own kind of red pill perspective, like this burden of knowledge. Whereas I think Daniel in our previous episode discussing this back when we were Reed Rothbard, we talked about the ring being the ring of power being the, you know, the ring of ruling. Right. Yeah. But to, yeah, but like, it's like what you said, it's like, to me, the ring represents like the burden of knowing all of this stuff. Cause like I was raised, I wouldn't say an anarchist, but just like completely, totally against my dad always raised us against government and any kind of government intrusion. And so 
like to me, I mean, I, my whole life was like, you know, even in second grade, I remember being like, I, I can't say the Pledge of Allegiance to my teacher, you know, because I'm like, I, I just, I can't say, uh, pledge my allegiance to a flag, you know, because it's what my dad always taught me, you know, and my teacher, I think she like singled me out and was mean to me because of it. Now that I think about it, going back and looking at the things that she used to say to me and do to me. But like at the time, I d- it didn't click. But like even as a second grader, you know, because I was just raised to question everything. And when I saw this movie, I was just like, this is just it. I don't. I, it's so hard to articulate, but it's just like it struck a chord. It's just like I felt like someone understood. It was just someone understood. Stands my burden of knowing. <laughs> it was just really and like my, my husband at the time when he he's like, why are you? Because like I when um, Frodo was saying that you know and um, the the dwarvish city, he was like, why are you getting so upset about this? And I'm like, because this just it's how I feel. I mean, this is how I feel. It's just this burden. And he didn't get it. But I mean, other people now get it. But it's just at the time, it was just so earth shattering. Right, right. Now let's get into that Google description before we move on uh, further into the movie. And then Robert, I'll have a question for you related to what we were just talking about. So I'm, I'm sort of plotting this in my mind here. But here's the Google description. This is for The Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first of the uh, trilogy. Came out in 2001, directed by Peter Jackson, 8.8 on the IMDb, 92% Metacritic, 91% Rotten Tomatoes, and 94% of Google users like it. The future of civilization rests on in the fate of the One Ring, which has been lost for centuries. Powerful forces are unrelenting in their search for it but fate has placed it in the hands of a young hobbit named Frodo Baggins, who inherits the ring and steps into legend. A daunting task lies ahead for Frodo where he becomes, when he becomes the ring bearer to destroy the One Ring in the fires of Mount Doom, where it was forged. Uh, again, Peter Jackson was the director and featuring stunning scenery of New Zealand, uh, had a budget of just under $100 million, and I think that the entire trilogy has returned. Um, I think a, uh, was this, a 10-bagger? So a $281 million budget for all three films and a gross box office of just shy of $3 billion. Now, Robert, my question to you was related to the idea of wishing you could go back and take the blue pill, get plugged back into the Matrix, and uh, taste a steak again to to mix my media here. Um, and I think that was Cypher. Did you ever experience that feeling as well? Like when, once you were sort of having those, uh, we'll call it the red pill blues, where you're sort of lamenting this burden and this knowledge? Well, I understand Cypher's dilemma or the draw of Cypher. The, the character of Cypher, I believe, is he makes a great villain in The Matrix because I think people can recognize the desire to be happy again because he's been drawn out of this world. He learns that the world is all fake and he's in misery because he's got a few friends, this tiny little group where before he probably had this, you know, huge group of friends that he, or at least potential group of friends. But now he's got this tiny little group of friends and he just wants to be happy again and forget everything and follow the ignorance is bliss line. And I can see how tempting that is. It really is tempting to be able to enjoy mainstream comedy, to be able to watch like, you know, John Stewart or Stephen Colbert again and laugh like you used to laugh because now, you know, it's like, it's just, you know, it's, it's just not for you anymore. It's for a completely different audience. But for me, I've always loved to learn, believe it or not. Um, all my public education schooling did not beat it out of me because actually the world is a fascinating place and there's all kinds of things to learn that are really, really interesting. Even if, you know, public school makes it as about as uninteresting as possible and focuses on a bunch of boring crap, but I love to learn. And this was a, a learning experience and it does feel like I have some kind of special knowledge that other people don't have. And really it's just a, some base economic knowledge, but you know, if you go to school and you learn like, you know, Econ 101 or you'd learn some Keynesian stuff, it really is, you know, it's a lot of statistics, it's a lot of formulas, it really is a lot of boring crap. And it, you could see why it wouldn't be that interesting. But, you know, if you take the Austrian school, it's really more about humans and human action. And that is a whole lot more interesting because people are fascinating. And it really gives you this lens from which to focus and make sense of the world. Whereas I think it's really easy to get confused and muddled when you're just listening to one guy talking about, you know, a 2% rise in this or a decrease in that or a 56% of blah, blah, blahers don't do 57 times percent of blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, I, I don't even know what, what. And then it conflicts with some <laughs> other piece of information that you've been heard and you don't know what to make sense of it all. So, you know, 
at the end of the day, I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad where I, I am where I am, but that's why I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not really in that evangelical phase where I want to tell everybody about it. Because even though I do want to live in a more free world, you know, like in the Matrix, they don't go after a mind that has reached a certain age. It's not like you're going to go and try and convince some retired person that, you know, their entire life was a lie and they've been committing all these violent acts all this time unwittingly or unknowingly. And, and now they're collecting that social security and stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. like, it's like, is it really worth it to wake them up? I don't know. Is it? Yeah. Now, to yank this back to, away from the Matrix and towards the Lord of the Rings, uh, that thing you said <laughs> where you're no longer in the evangelical phase, that uh, makes me think of the quote, keep it secret, keep it safe, which is what Gandalf tells Frodo when he gives him the ring. Yeah, And tells him that he's got this mission. Yes. So why don't you, uh, Melanie, pick it up from there. What, what are your thoughts on... on um, this quest that Frodo is gonna gonna embark upon, and and do you think even though Tolkien wasn't too keen on allegory, he's sort of in the act of telling this story. It's hard not to apply an allegory to it. Yeah, it's really hard not to. I mean, especially when it like affects your life, you know. And I'm always trying to find meaning in it, like, oh, what does this mean, and what does that mean? But then, like, when I go online and research it, I'm just like, oh, but he didn't really <laughs> mean it that way. But I mean, you can always apply it personally, um, but. I don't know. Yeah, it's... my thought was that not not to like stomp all over you with my white male privilege here. Um, but when Boromir is looking at the ring and says, "Such a little thing," you know, it, it, how could it be so bad? You know, and and what, why don't we wield it for good? And that was to me that meant oh, politics, the democracy. It's like a good idea. It doesn't seem dangerous. And why not use that power for good with good intentions and with, get the right people in power? That kind of a thing. Right, but. It always turns out bad, just like it did in the movie. It always turns out screwed up. <laughs> like, I have a son who, like, my ex-husband is a staunch libertarian, and um, my son, my 13-year-old, he calls himself a minarchist. And I and I always tease him, and I'm always like, oh, so you want just a little bit of cancer, right? And he, you know, and he's just like, mom, you know, uh that's not what it is. You can, you can use, you know, government for good. And I'm like, yeah, but Dallas, it always grows. It always grows and it always becomes out of hand. And he's like, well, anarchy is not perfect either. And I'm like, you're right. It's not perfect. But, um, I came back with that quote that I posted a few days ago, um, rather a dangerous Liberty than a peaceful servitude. And he's just, he, he's like, I'm going to come up back with something on that mom. Don't worry. I'm going to come back with something, but you know, it's just like, it always grows. It always grows and it always gets bad. Right. And, and speaking of getting the right people in power, uh, we see that in the film when uh, Frodo offers the ring to both Gandalf and Galadriel and they both turn him down. Because they are both, um, you know, already very powerful beings in this in this universe. And if they were given that, you know, that ultimate power of the ring, uh, that they knew that even though they were trying to do good, trying to do right, that having all of that power in one concentrated space would be overwhelming and the temptation would be too great in Lord Acton's sense for them to become corrupted. And right, Ron, why don't yeah, you jump in on that? Um, or go, you know, what? Well, Melanie was about to say something, and then go I go ahead. I, I, yeah, go. Well, ladies first. No, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so chivalrous here. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, because like I just that was like one of my favorite scenes when she was like, she's like, I'd be a great sorceress, you know, and beautiful, and all would fear me, you know, and but she turned it down, and she was, just, and she's like, you know, I'll go back to you know the elven world or whatever. But it was really. It was awesome how she turned it down, but, you know, she could have taken it and, but she knew that if she had that power, she would become, you know, an evil sorceress or whatever. And it was just, I thought it was cool. And same with Gandalf. Right. And she was like the all will love me. And I felt yeah. that that was sort of this, um, I would, I would use it for my own vanity in a way yes. uh, to like virtue signal almost, you know, like get people to love me for being able to wield the power that I'm wielding. Yeah. So Robert, pick it up from there, sir. Oh, I don't know. What are you guys even talking about? Um, you're, you guys are speaking all really like nicely about this terrible movie. I want to call everybody's attention to the fine work of um, people on Ranker who have written this fantastic <laughs> article exposing this trash pile for what it is. So, Daniel, if you wouldn't mind us just going through some of these um, problematic themes in this uh, terrible crap fest. All right. And just to just to clarify for any new listeners, Robert is being a bit facetious here. 
for oh, the sake really? of argument. Uh, <laughs> but apparently, uh, instances of weird racism and bigotry throughout Lord of the Rings and in J.R.R. Tolkien's life, according to this article on Ranker.com, which we will have on the show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 48. Yeah, so... So run with it, Robert. This, this movie has not escaped the, offense, the, the, the offended police. Like everything else, I just saw a video today where Michael Rappaport was making fun of a cat and his Instagram video of him making fun of this cat got deleted off of Instagram because it violated their terms of shaming the cat. So, so, I mean, this is just the, the insanity of the world that we live in where nothing is out of bounds of being offensive and horrible, where, where something that was perfectly okay 10, 15, 20 years ago is now super problematic because we are so much more enlightened now. We, we really understand the world through this Marxist feminist lens. And now things like Lord of the Rings is super duper racist because it describes the orcs these people who are, you know, an oppressed race as evil and bad. And the dwarves who are these short, big nosed people with that are super money hungry as analogous to Jewish people. And so it's also anti-Semitic. There are all kinds of interesting themes that uh, thankfully have been exposed thanks to these good um, cultural Marxist thinkers, these intersectional Marxist feminists that are just looking at perfectly fine things. And finding problems. And, and the, the funny thing is, is that they, 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 they pick apart, you know, this great story about one person, you know, these, this small band of, of underdogs fighting against this overpowering evil lord who just wants to destroy and murder and kill everybody. And they're going to pick it apart and they're actually going to defend the orcs, these people that want to eat you, eat humans. And they're saying that this just, this just, um, uh, contributes to racism in the world, creating, making people racist. So you watch Lord of the Rings and it makes you more racist. It, get, it you know, it, it reinforces all these negative things in your mind, whether you are aware of it or not. And uh, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about this? Is well, this just, I, I, is there any merit to this kind of crap or am I just crazy? I, th I think that uh, there is no merit to this and, and that I, I want to say that you're, you're bringing this up and trying to be ridiculous <laughs> because <laughs> I'm being ridiculous. If you're really questioning whether there's truth to this, I don't know. That just seems really um, uh, almost like maybe bait taking, you know, like, like in Mad Max for your road where he says that's bait. This looks like bait. This entire ranker article uh, calling back to our earlier portion of the discussion where you're talking about Cypher and wanting to um, be able to enjoy things that you used to enjoy when you were blue pilled and taste a steak again and laugh at Jon Stewart and comedy and, and, and the media that was going on at the time. You departed from that based on a, a seeking of knowledge and a grounding in philosophy and learning economics. But that point where you left isn't there anymore. Like media, comedy, entertainment has shifted so far in just the last 10, 15 years um, that you couldn't even recognize what would have been funny at that time today. Like now anything made, you know, more than five years ago is probably in, in the terms problematic for most people these days. Well, that's exactly right. Which is why it seems like nothing is going to be not considered problematic. It's, it's as if people think that they're so evolved and intelligent and informed now. They're so educated with this crap that they look back on things that were done not even too long ago and go, wow, these people were all super terrible and racist. And right. I remember yeah, they that. Won't, they being, won't do that I about remember... anything the government did. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? They won't, they, they won't say that about government, though. No. The government always gets a pass because they're the welfare givers and the protectors and the, you know, the nannies. But, you know, remember back when we were kids and it was kind of a joke that grandma and grandpa were kind of racist because they had <laughs> grown up at a different time. And they had kind of different views and, you know, they might use like racist language, but it never seemed like hateful. And we thought that we were kind of like, you know, evolved or more educated or we knew better or whatever. Somehow we felt superior, right? Like as if those ideas were backwards and wrong. And that's what it's like for these SJW types watching stuff that came out just 10, 15, 20 years ago. They feel like, wow, look at this backwards crap of these made by these people that just didn't realize how they were perpetuating the patriarchy and the misogyny and the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder <laughs> if, if there's like a uh, a bit of a going too far. Like maybe there was a, a 
you know, coming to a, a more mm, reasonable level as opposed to, you know, what was made like 50 or 80 years ago. But I'm sort of centering that on my experience, you know. Well, like our I, generation is the one who got it right. <laughs> and now they're going too far. Well, have you heard about this new thing? Uh, apparently the, the the song Baby It's Cold Outside has been banned off some radio station or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's all about like forcing uh, affections on a woman. And, and I also saw that White Christmas was offensive. Yeah. Well, this, this song Baby It's Cold Outside, apparently if you listen to it through today's lens and you don't understand the context in which it was written is just about, you think, well, this is, yeah, him trying to convince her to stay and we're going to get it on and blah, 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 even though she wants to leave. But apparently at the time and in the context in which it was written, it meant that she wanted to stay with the guy, but she was worried about a reputation with, you know, other people. So she really did want to stay. And so honestly, the song is kind of empowering, like, you go, girl, you stay. You don't care about what, you know, everybody else thinks. You do what you want to do and you do you. You would think that if people understood through that cultural lens, that they would think it more as a, an empowering song as opposed to this coercive, violent sex predator song. Right. Basically, yeah, but... she was using the parlance of the day to get what she wanted, but while saving face. Right. 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 Because she kept saying things like, well, what's in this drink? You know, like, oh, my gosh, is drink is so strong you know it's making me drunk or whatever you know it's like but you could tell people that and they'd be like oh no you guys are just stupid he's totally trying to rape her you know and it's just like give me a fucking break i'm so sick of people trying to find something bad in every good thing there is it's just ridiculous you're just going to take away any happiness you have and you're not going to be able to enjoy anything because they're going to make everything bad everything's going to be wrong yeah it's it's like everybody's just going to be super afraid to speak their mind because you'd be afraid of being it's like people assume the worst about each other like yeah. if somebody says a completely innocuous thing or like a perfectly normal thing when taken out of context or even in context people are still like no that's terrible and horrible you're a terrible person you need to apologize right now it's yeah it, it's it's ridiculous yeah it's social crowd control taken to the extreme to to an absurd level all right Completely robert let's absurd. let's go let's go through this list a little bit all right so I'll just <laughs> read a few off and then we can tee off on this. Tolkien's dwarves are an uns unsubtle and unflattering analog to Jewish people, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, Tolkien's literal representations of light and dark are super problematic. Uh, actors were turned away from the films for not being white enough. Tolkien's evil race is based on racial stereotypes. Tolkien's most interesting female character gets slighted. Um, even though she slays the Witch King of Angmar. Uh, Tolkien was a total misogynist. The human enemies in the film are pretty much all people of color. Female characters are severely underdeveloped. Physical characteristics of villains are racialized. And Lord of the Rings has been hijacked by racist nationalist groups, which has absolutely nothing to do with creation uh, of the film or the books. Uh, positive stereotypes are still stereotypes. And I think that was the last one. So let's tee off on this for a little bit here. Okay, so I want to... I got a couple things to say about probably every single one of these, but let me just handle um, this first one. Not the first one, but this one. This actors were turned away from the film for not being white enough. Sounds like the worst one, maybe. I don't know. Like if someone was a little bit darker, they were like, no, 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 you can't do this. So in this day and age, apparently it's wrong to have a to write a story. So if I were to write a, a novel that only featured white people. It only did. I'm sorry. It just, I only wrote it for white people. Apparently that's wrong and that's bad and that's racist. Apparently I can't do that because it's not conforming to everybody else's idea of what my story is supposed to be. Well, so when Tolkien, you say writing for, do you mean like that's your intended audience or that's just the universe in which you've set it in, you know, through no like ill intent? I wrote, I wrote a story about some people that only lived in a cave. So all their skin was like translucent white. Apparently that makes me a terrible person. So Tolkien set his story in this made up world of Middle Earth, but it's really, you know, an allegory kind of like for England in the Middle Ages. And I'm sorry, there just weren't a lot of people of color. And in fact, the Haradrim, who are the minions of Mordor that fight for Sauron, are from a foreign land. And they look like that in the movie. So were they not supposed to? come from a foreign land? Like, what are they supposed to look like when they come from a foreign, from this Middle Eastern looking land with like elephants and whatnot that they're fighting with? It's like, it's like you can't even tell a story now, like even a realistic story, like reality offends people. So you can't be realistic even in a fantasy movie. So anyway, actors were turned away from the film for not being white enough. Well, so what? That's their money they're spending. This is a movie maker trying to make a movie that is true to a vision 
And he's also trying to like, you know, succeed at pleasing an audience. And if you're going to come in and say, no, 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 you have to do X, Y, and Z because I like it that way. Well, you're spending that guy's money, not your money. You want to make a movie with a multicultural cast and whatever, you're free to do that. Go ahead. No one's stopping you. But you don't need to go around telling other people that they have to do X, Y, and Z. Now, if you want to come in and criticize later and say that, yeah, I would have, you know, appreciated X, Y, and Z in a film like what we do all the time, that's fine. But to complain that, you know, their decisions on how to make a movie when, you know, are, 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 am I, do, do, am I making sense here? Yeah, yeah, you are. And, and they always jump to like, what's the worst possible meaning this could have to it. So I always jump to racism or something like that. Right. Right. But when you're right, when like your audience is predominantly white, you're going to make most of the people in the movie white. So the, your audience can relate to it. I mean, yeah, that's another it, thing. Yeah. It's stupid. You know, it's like so they it's like I, they try to find something bad in everything. And it's just like it's so it gets me so aggravated because it's like you're taking joy out of everything and you're you're making people conform to things that they don't want to do. And it's just it's going to make everything suck because no one's going to want to do anything because you're going to have all these hoops you have to jump through. And then you're going to get lambasted because you were racist, even though you really didn't mean to be, you know. Yeah. So recently. Um, personal hero of mine, Stan Lee died. Yes. And he created all this great stuff that everybody loves. But when he died, a a bunch of people came out and said that, you know, they weren't sad that this terrible racist guy was dead. And I was like, what are you even talking about? Racist? The guy that created Black Panther and created all these other people, all these whatever, just all kinds of different people, like the X-Men. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But I guess what I guess what they were basing that on, they were basing that on an interview where they asked Dan Lee, you know, should what if what if they came out with a movie where uh, Peter Parker, who played it was Spider-Man, was like black or Steve Rogers was black. And he's like, well, no, I think they should be what they are because that's what I wrote them to be. If, if you're being true to the character, Peter Parker is a white kid from the Bronx. And that was his, you know, situation and whatever. It's like Black Panther, T'Challa. He's a black guy from, you know, I can't think of Wakanda. And that is, you know, his experience and his race is integral to his character and blah, blah, blah. And for this, he gets called out as this horrific bigot and racist guy. And it's just like, really? You can't tell a story from a certain perspective? Like, okay. I mean, I'm not the biggest like biggest, you know, race is my most important thing in the world. I don't particularly think it's that huge of a deal. I think political ideology is far more important. I think the way you treat people is far more important. I think, you know, your outlook in life is far more important, but whatever. But if you're going to tell someone that because they want to tell a story a certain way, that that means they're a horrific racist. I I, I really just don't see that. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, as a storyteller, that offends me. It really does. To say that I'm going to write, you know, Spider-Man and he's this white kid from the Bronx and he's doing these things and he's having these experiences. And then you're going to come in and say, well, no, Spider-Man's actually this Chinese kid from Africa. It's like, okay, (laughs) but that's not Spider-Man, right? That's not the same character. That's a totally different character from a totally different background with totally different experiences. You can call it Spider-Man. I don't care, whatever you want to call it, but it's not the same Spider-Man. That it's just a totally different character. Why? You know what I mean? It just just, doesn't make sense to me. Because if you did make him black or a different ethnicity or whatever, it would be a totally different character. Like you said, totally different. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. It's just, and to call him a racist over that is just the absolute ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, the, the X-Men were basically 1960s version of, you know, following the civil rights and they were outsiders and, you know, the world didn't trust them. And it was basically this giant allegory for racism. Yes, it was. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're so right. And like, oh, my God, that's so frustrating. Yeah. So anyway, rest in peace, Stanley. You're the best, buddy. You did great stuff. Sorry you uh, people shit on your grave when you died. Yeah, I'm sure those same people are going to be saying uh, some of the things about GWHB or GHWB. Herbert Walker. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he just died recently. And uh, I'm pretty sure that they're going to look favorably upon him. We're probably going to get the, you know, month-long procession of his funeral, similar to John McCain, who never even made it to president, just merely candidate. Dude, I've already got people, I've seen posts where like, this was back when we could find common ground with our president, with our Republican president. And I'm like, oh my God. And I I posted on their their thing, I'm like, you could probably find common ground with Trump. I mean, he's trying, he wants to ban bump stocks and stuff like that, but you're too busy chanting orange man bad you know, to even look and like 
someone commented, oh, you must be a millennial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Whatever. All right. Well, let's take this back to the Lord of the Rings a little bit. Um, There was some discussion of uh, a plot hole. And this is brought by um, Jeremiah of Real on Reels. It's a new uh, podcast talking about movies that is a competitor of ours, but we're okay with competition and actually have listened to many of their shows and really enjoy it. So it's Real on Reels. It's R-E-A-L on R-E-E-L-S. Uh, you can find that at anchor.fm uh, or any podcatcher. But he brought up this point where, all right, so if you got these eagles in the movie and, and they play a prominent role at the end, why not just give the ring to the eagles on day one? They fly it to Mount Doom, dump it in, bing, bing, boom, movie's over. So he has an answer to this, and I will save it uh, until I hear both of your thoughts on that alleged plot hole. I'll go to Melanie first and then Robert. Well, I think I've heard of this plot hole before, but um, if I recall correctly, um, like I said before, I haven't ever read the books um, because I I can't read Tolkien's writing. It's but um, I think wasn't it because they were like some different race? They were like the same race as Gandalf and Saruman or whatever, and they would be, they could be um, taken under the power of the ring as well. I mean, that's what I thought I heard. I could be wrong. I don't know, but that strikes a chord in my head. All right. So before we get your response, Robert, Melanie is correct, and it's it's very much related to uh, Gandalf's quote because apparently the eagles are of a similar uh, level of of ability as the Gandalfs and the Sormans of the of Middle-earth. And so Gandalf's quote was, I would use this ring for my desire to do good, but through me, it would wield a power too great and terrible to imagine. And so basically giving it to the eagles, and they, didn't ha- they wouldn't have the ability to resist it uh, that is sort of like the unique capability of the hobbits and why Frodo was the appropriate vessel. And even over time, he too became corrupted. Um, and uh, even uh, Gollum, uh, Smeagol slash Gollum, it took many years for him to be totally devolved into this creature but it took time uh because of his um of his makeup and his ability to be able to resist and i i, I envision a frodo type as being the the not the one not seeking power but willing to go out there and uh use use that platform similar to how ron paul did in 2008 uh and 2012 elections to speak about libertarianism and volunteerism and freedom. So, Robert, you take it away there. Well, I didn't hear a question there, but um, <laughs> so you're basically saying that the the the, the hawks or the eagles couldn't couldn't take the ring because they would get corrupted like like everybody else in Middle Earth, except for Frodo, who was the the Ron Paul guy. Yeah, I guess, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Like, I could, like the eagles would almost immediately be like, "Oh, I got this great power. I'm not going to give this up." Sort of like uh, Il- Isildur did, where he's like, "No, I'm not giving this away." Right. The humans are the pragmatic optimists. Like, I'm the one that can handle this power. Don't worry about it. It makes sense. Um, most humans are like that, and it's interesting that Tolkien had to create a non-human character that would be able to wield the, the ring without being corrupted. Which you know, but, and even though he did, he did become corrupted. It just took a long time, and so he made it. He made it there uh, before it fully took root, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the very end, he's yeah. he goes to throw it, and he can't do it. But then through a fight with Gollum, and he's able to drop it. Yeah, I could see him. But there's you guys have seen that GIF, the the shortest short short version, Lord of the Rings. That's what you're basically talking about with the with the eagle just grabbing it, chucking it in the mountain, flying. Yeah. Away. Right. Right. Or Isildur just dumping it in uh, right away, you know, when Elrond was like, destroy it. Oh, yeah, right when he grabs it at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's like this this big, long prologue, and then end scene, movie's over. And not movie. 13 hours, <laughs> seven minutes. <laughs> I just want to say gone. that I think it's really funny that um, Fellowship of the Ring is rated PG-13 for epic battle sequences, because I think that's the funniest reason ever. Epic battle sequences. That's what it says on my DVD. <laughs> I like how it's epic battles. They're like yeah. not just not just violence, epic battles. Extreme epic battles. Battles. <laughs> Blow your hair back. Yeah, at the time, these movies were amazing. Um the the craftsmanship, you know, you watched all the, the behind the scenes stuff and they made all that orc armor and it was such a huge production that Yeah, um, and it's like what you were talking about earlier on the last episode where um like they let Hobbiton like grow for a year or so before they even, you know, went and filmed so it could look weathered and look lived in and stuff. 
yeah, you can tell by watching this movie, it was just made with, you know, love. Like Peter Jackson really wanted to translate the this book that he cared so much about and he didn't want he wanted really wanted to do it justice. And, you know, I there are some issues, especially in Return of the King, I think when I first saw it, where it looked like the effects weren't quite done yet. But it, you know the the all the practical stuff really still holds up. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about the um, the story in general? The acting. I mean, this is the movie where it really launched. Um, what's his name's career? Vigo, the, the guy that did um, Smeagol. Oh, oh, Andy. Yeah, Andy Circus or whatever his name is. Because this is when you know this is shortly after um, Phantom Menace came out, and people compared you know Gollum to. Jar Jar Binks <laughs> and it was such a night and day experience where Gollum was this fully fleshed realized character with all these facial expressions and you know really humanistic type stuff and Jar Jar Binks was just this dumb puppet looking thing that nobody cared about who and in their right mind could even compare the two well you know this these are the first like fully CG characters in film of all time yeah, that's true. Before that, well, it, Jar Jar wasn't really like motion capture, though, right? He was fully computer animated. He was mocap. I mean, there's there's Ahmed Best was the actor. He was on mm. set. He had a he had a, like a big Jar Jar helmet that he wore around set. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen pictures of that. Okay, but I, I don't know if he actually wore like the ping pong ball suit. I assume he did, but Andy Circus definitely did when he was playing Gollum. Right. Yeah, I know in Lord of the Rings, they were pushing a lot of the envelope, you know, like developing a lot of technology to facilitate the ability to to make a lot of these sequences. Uh, it's it's sort of like how uh, car companies will have a racing team and, and they'll be pushing the envelope as far as engineering goes and, and developing things uh, for what you'll see in a car like 10 years later or 15 years later. And then, it, you know, it becomes like commonplace and super cheap to to include in, in new vehicles. But when they developed it, it was like a million dollar part or something like that. Right, and that's that's played out through almost all technology, where yeah, the 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 bleeding edge is paid for by the early adopters, and then it's passed down to consumers as as people figure out how to make it cheaper. Right, and and we had spoken about the Matrix uh, a bit earlier, so people might have been confused that this was a Matrix episode. It's not, uh, but um, there are parallels. Also, there are there are many parallels, but it also pushed a lot of the envelope, and and also came out right around the same time as this, right? Like slightly before this. Yeah, Matrix was ninety nine. I think Lord of the Rings uh, Fellowship was a one or two thousand. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, two thousand one, December. Yeah, two thousand one. So yeah, right, right around that same time, similar. Uh, but they definitely did push it, and and I think your point about the Return of the King maybe not being quite as polished. Uh, I wonder if that was like we're almost done with this thing, and that's good enough. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're burned out. Is, is that it was all filmed at the same time. Yeah, so, they did do that. Yeah, it was all filmed at once, and then they divided it up into three movies. So you would think that they would have had, you know, all that time to work on the special effects for the third movie. But I imagine the 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 effects guys, Weta, were the main team, I believe, doing the, the stuff. It's this New Zealand company. And this movie really kind of launched Weta. They've gone on to do all kinds of stuff since then. And they've been, you know, amazing. I think they're doing the, they're the guys that did the um, Planet of the Apes movies, you know, with those, those real looking apes. Right, so, with Circus again in there? Yeah, Circus again, once again, back in action. Um, and then Circus has actually gone on to do, you know, acting where he's not pretending to be other characters. Right, and he's, and he's also a, an accomplished director, I believe. Oh, is that true? That could be, I don't know. Or at least a uh, second unit director. Um, I, I've seen some behind-the-scenes stuff, and they, and they talked about how he uh, he does a lot of the um, B-reel. I believe you. For the bigger movies that he's on. Cool, that's right on. I know he's a big, giant social justice warrior. Oh, really? That's too bad. Well, it's yeah. in everyone these days. Well, everyone in Hollywood, for sure. Well, not everyone. Clint Eastwood's not. <laughs> yeah, if we were limited to only doing movies made by libertarians, we wouldn't have much of a show, unfortunately. I know. <laughs> we do that like sucks. 10 movies. Well, I guess we're done. Until um, Vaughn hey. does another movie, I guess, or something. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, don't, I, I hate to break up the party, but we, we do only have about 15 minutes or so left uh, to fit some stuff in. So does anyone have any real hot button issues that they want to be sure that we do discuss? I don't know. It's a, it's a big, long series, and you could talk all day about any one of them. Um, we haven't even mentioned the Ents or Saruman or, I don't know, all, all kinds of different characters in this big, long series. I mean, what about a favorite character from Melanie over there? Um. Oh, I think Galadriel was always my favorite. Nice. 
For me, it's uh, 100%. It is Sam. He is the absolute hero of the story. He is he's Frodo's gardener, and he is just the stud that brings it home. And every time I watch Return of the King and Sam, you know, he takes it upon himself to pick up Frodo. And he's like, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. That always gets me and I always, it always tears me up. So Water, water works for Robert. Yeah, Sam. You're <laughs> the best, buddy. I don't know. I think Return of the King is like my least favorite of the three. Because I think at the end, that part, I'm not trying to be a bitch or anything, but I feel like that part at the end is so like contrived. It's, I don't know. It's like, I'm just going to get the ceremony. Yeah. And like when Sam's carrying Frodo, it just seems so like it's done so many times before in other movies. I don't know. Mm, I can see that. It seems a little hokey, maybe a little bit cheesy, but it it still, it still works for me. Yeah. Well, that's good. For reasons too. I don't know. Yeah. 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 The, the um, part, I don't know. Uh, I where they're the, doing uh, the, the celebration ceremony it reminds me of the end of uh, Jedi. Right. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then you get the hobbits as the Ewoks. I mean, it, this is basically yeah. Star Wars redone. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Jackson totally ripped off Star Wars. <laughs> well, if you're going to steal, I'll steal from the best. Why not? That's true. Daniel, which, which one, which movie is your favorite, would you say? Because I like I like Fellowship, but I think the Two Towers is my is my favorite like complete movie. But yeah, maybe, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Two Towers as well. The, the Fellowship feels like it's just all build up, and right. you're sort of left kind of hanging at the end of it after the the like Riverside um, battle. Right. Uh, two yeah. Towers. Yeah, you have a lot kind of going on. You, you definitely feel that that struggle um, between the two forces, and and you're you're feeling that dread of of the build up, uh, and then. Yeah, Return of the King is it's good, but it gets a little hokey towards the end. Uh, but they sort of, you know, you, you have to resolve it at some point, right? And they're not going to go full and cap on us and, you know, say that, well, we actually don't need a king. Right, Aragorn just steps down. He's like, no, there, there shouldn't be one. <laughs> it's called Return of the King. <laughs> but, no, you know, the, the, uh, the steward, the steward going mad, uh, I thought was really good because that was uh, somebody who was like torn between thinking that he was doing the right thing, but then being tormented by it not working out. Like he had basically seen everything fall into disrepair uh, and, and sort of fall apart because he he wasn't able to manage it. And uh, it, it, and that's because nobody can, right? It's, it's a spontaneous thing. It's, it's millions of people interacting with each other, not a top-down control structure. Right. And then he just lost both his sons. He lost Bormir and uh, what's his name? Farmir. Yeah. Farmir. Yeah. I mean, and that's when he went mad because he was he was still alive, but he put him on the funeral pyre and, you know, was trying to burn him. And then um, Mary had to go get Gandalf to save him. Yeah, baby. Uh, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. I think that was Gandalf's quote about that. Not that particular thing, but the thing I said before. Right. Anyway, uh, why don't we get into some final summary and review time here? Uh, before we wind this one down. Uh, so, uh, Melanie, you've, you've heard the show before. Are you familiar with the format or do you want one of us to go first? One of you go first. All right. I nominate Robert. All right. I like going first. It's nice and clean. So Lord of the Rings, it's a classic. I don't know if it's going to hold up. I mean, the, the, the practical stuff all looks really good. The CGI is going to age like CGI ages, which is always the issue. I mean, up until the point at which we get even photorealistic, I don't even know if if you if you if it was photorealistic today in twenty years would we be gone? Yeah, it's photorealistic, but it, it's 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 two thousand twenty photorealistic. I mean, it's going to just get even better and better and better. Um, but still, for the time at which these movies were made, and I don't think that they're problematic at all. And maybe people are, I think people are reading into these things and finding offense where, first of all. There was never any offense intended. And even then, it's you don't like something, you don't have to watch it. You don't have to experience it. You can ignore it into obsolescence. And you know, any the, anytime you're creating anything, all you can do is, is make something that makes yourself happy. So if Tolkien made this thing that made himself happy, complete success. He was an amazing success. It made himself happy. But it, then it went on to be a huge hit and millions and millions of people around the world love this thing. So it's even super huger, huger success. And if a couple of angry feminist blue hair types, you know, are upset about something that they see, well, then we should probably just ignore them because that's about how much they add to the world. So it doesn't bother me. I, I think it's hilarious that people are coming out and saying that this this great work of fiction is somehow a problem and can create bad things in the world. 
I think that's just a joke. But for the movie itself, I think it was an amazing achievement at the time. All the time and effort of amazing creators that came together and created this trilogy that really you know captured my imagination. I know I was an original reader of the books and I was super excited, super on board to see these movies. And at the time I was, you know, dealing with some depression and I've always been a bit of a, I don't know what you want to call it. What, what is that word where you think the worst is going to happen? I don't know. Pessimist. Anyway. Pessimist. Uh, pessimist, but also like you think you're going to die from whatever. Oh yeah. Hypochondriac. That's it. Yeah. Pessimist. Hypochondriac. And I remember at the time, I was just like, okay, I have to live to see Return of the King. Like at first I was like, okay, I have to see, live to see Fellowship. And then I had to live to see Return of the King. And then if, if once I saw Return of the King, then I could go ahead and die. It was, it was that big of a deal to me back in the day. Uh, it's less of a big deal to me now because I've seen them. But even if they were to remake these, you know, in a couple of years, I'd be like, okay, well, I've, I've, I've moved beyond that level of satisfaction. But these were a big deal to me at the time. And I was super excited to see them at the time. And I still will put them on and enjoy them today. And I think that's a you know, test of any good film. So I would highly recommend these films. Um, and I'm going to give them like an 8.8 .8 for the whole. I'm not going to break it down individually. I think Two Towers is probably the strongest, but you can't beat that opening scene in Hobbiton and Fellowship. That's just amazing. So uh, it's all it's all it's all good. Whoever wants to go next can go next. All right, Melanie, run with it. Okay, well, I'm going to say that these movies will always have a special place in my heart because they just speak to me. And I don't care what any stupid feminist says or anybody that says they're racist, they're not. They're amazing works. They deserve recognition forever because they're groundbreaking. And if people don't like it, they can suck it. And um, I, I give the whole trilogy a 10 because I just relate to it so much that I just... It'll always be just like earth shattering. I mean, it just it just changed my life. Honestly, it just changed my life when I saw those movies. And they will always stand up no matter what. And I will always defend them. And that's my spiel. All right. So our first uh, 10 on the show ever. So thank you for that, Melanie. <laughs> nice work. All right. Yes, you're, you're, you're a record breaker already. All right. So <laughs> my take on this is the overall series is very strong. The attention to detail is fantastic. And I think that the commitment to the source material uh, was very strong. I mean, of course, there's some nitpicks here and there from the true fans. But I think for the most part, I mean, he still ended up making like 13 hours of film. Uh, when you include the extended versions, um, you can't really fit much more in than that uh, and still keep an audience and make it a, uh, you know, like a movie going public viable film. So I, I, I must give, you know, big props for all of that. Um, I think that this is probably Peter Jackson's strongest work and did propel him into that upper echelon of of directors. But I don't know if I'm super impressed with anything since then. It's sort of like uh, the Wachowski brothers or now sisters or whatever they call themselves uh, <laughs> with the Matrix one sort of gave them a bunch of cred with which to, you know, spend the next two decades on making mediocre uh, type material. I mean, occasionally they, they come up with something uh, pretty good. But overall, I think that the source material is very strong. Tolkien, of course, is is great. Uh, he does reference himself as a uh, as an anarchist in a letter to his son, Christopher. Um, and we have an article on uh, one of our sites related to that that will be on the show notes page, lastinners.com slash 48. Um, I, I, too, think that Two Towers is the strongest of the films, and I'm going to give that one a nine. Uh, I, I, and I, I'm doing splitsies here. Uh, Fellowship, I'm going to go with 8.5, and uh, Return of the King, I'm going to go with an eight. So the, the not the strongest of the three for the last one, but still a, a very good film. So overall, excellent work, and uh, I'm really glad that we were able to discuss it again. We did talk about this once a couple of years ago, and we will have that also on the show notes page, uh, though it does have very terrible audio quality so i just forewarn you on that um so i think that's gonna be our show uh so melanie uh why don't you just remind everyone what your show's gonna be about where they can find it and uh we will say good night well my show's gonna be about the statist on my facebook page and their horrible arguments and um probably a lot of making fun of them it's gonna i feel like it's gonna be fun for me at least and then um you can find me right now on Patreon. Um, it's Anarchist Mom Podcast, and it should be out within a couple weeks. However, you know, I take care of my dad, so barring any complications with him, I'd say a couple weeks. But if anything happens with him, it might be pushed back a little bit. And what's the format of your show going to be, Melanie? Is it, are you going to have guests? Is it going to be just you, or what's going to happen? 
Well, right now it's probably just going to be me because I don't know anyone to be on it, but lies. Well, okay. Yeah, I could have guests. I would love to have guests because I would feel like it'd be better because banter back and forth is better than just listening to me go on and on about things probably. But um, yeah, I, I would be open to guests. All right. So we've just invited ourselves on. So thank you, Melanie. We'd be, we'd be happy. We'd be honored. <laughs> and can I say one more thing about the Lord of the Rings? No. Okay. okay go but ahead. I'm, I'm going to say it anyways. But you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Lord of the Rings is what, how, like, you know how they had the fellowship and they had the elf and the, the sorcerer and everything. That was like the premise of D and D and that's how D and D got started. I mean, it, I mean, do you see the correlations between them? Yeah, I, don't, yep. I don't know if you guys are like into D and D or anything, but I never was, but I learned it from my husband, but my ex-husband, but yeah, that's like they D and D got the idea from Lord of the Rings. Right. And Star Trek also got their diversity uh, idea from this as well. I'm sort of yeah, making so this- that up. This? Yeah, yeah, Tolkien is the the grandfather of modern fantasy. I mean, people look up to him. I mean, George R. R. Martin, who is the Game of Thrones guy, is uh, hugely influenced and a huge fan of Tolkien, like most of us modern fantasy writers are. So, enjoy, enjoy, awesome. and look look for the Anarchist Mom coming out in a couple of weeks, and look for us being a guest on one of her early shows. We would be, uh, like I said, honored to be on. So, uh, any any final words, Robert, before we say goodnight? Well, and I want to mention what we got going on next time, uh, next week, in case anybody wants to check it out. Uh, we're going to go and be jackasses. Uh, there's a Johnny Knoxville movie that just came out not too long ago uh, called Action Point, And apparently it has some interesting premises uh, that are allegedly to be worthy of discussion. I have not yet seen it, but it was recommended by a listener. And they're like, there's some really good stuff in Action Point. I know it's Johnny Knoxville. I know it's supposed to be terrible. I know it has 15% Rotten Tomatoes rating, but... <laughs> It's got stuff worthy of talking about. So that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a bit of a surprise to us because I haven't watched it yet. Have you seen it yet, Robert? I haven't seen it, but I saw the, the, just the synopsis, this, you know, there's just the concept. This is the one couple sentence, you know, takeaway. And yeah, it sounds very interesting. It sounds like something that might exist in the market. We've talked about it multiple times over the course of the show, talking about, you know, airport security. And would we ever fly on an airplane that had zero security? I would. And apparently, you know, there, this movie takes the concept that there is a theme park where they have just like crappy rides and you might die on these rides. And do you want to go ahead and ride? It's even more of a thrill if you survive, you know, that kind of thing. And it would be the kind of place that would get sued into oblivion, but it's a voluntary thing that might satisfy a market need that you might not even have known you wanted it. And it sounds, yeah, super interesting. All right. Well, now I'm all excited to, to watch that. So Come back next week for our discussion on Action Point. So this is the uh, end of the show for The Last Nighters. Uh, we are part of Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. So find it at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Our show notes page is lastnighters.com slash 48 for this particular episode with all the things that I mentioned. And if you want to support us on Patreon, go to lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And I will say good night from last night, everyone. <laughs>